0: Erica Renee Hoag was last seen walking in the 7800th block of Deer Creek Road in Selma, Oregon on May 17, 2018. She was 39 years old at the time of her disappearance. There are many factors, both in Erica's life and her disappearance, that make it incredibly difficult for the media to properly cover or for the police to properly investigate her case. The one word that seems synonymous with who Erica is as a person is light. With that in mind, my name is Gwen Beringer, and this is a light for Erica. The first time that I heard about Erica Hoag. It was November of 2018. I was scrolling through Facebook on my break at work, like usual, and saw a missing persons poster that a friend had shared. Now, the first thing that jumped out at me is that she'd gone missing from my community. And the second thing was that six months had passed since her disappearance. I'd heard literally nothing about this 39-year-old mother of two just vanishing into thin air. And that really irritated me. Selma, Oregon, where Erica was last seen, is a small part of a region called the Illinois Valley. It's a very rural area, with a few vineyards and a lot of pot farms. As in, the road that she was last seen on literally has a vineyard and pot farms on it. To my knowledge, Erica was a worker for one of those farms. Perhaps for a few different ones. Like Humboldt County, we tend to get a lot of seasonal workers around here when the cannabis crops begin to produce. A common term that's used would be "trimmigrants," as in trimming migrants. Although Erica made friends in the community, she wasn't a local, and unfortunately that partially explained the lack of community interest in her case. Since she was known to travel around different places in Oregon and different states, it was entirely reasonable for anybody that she'd met on her adventures to believe that she'd pop up eventually. For Erica's sister, Rachel, it was a bit of a different story.
1: Well, I've gotten that call before and it's not unlike her to want her own space and just, you know, take off for a little bit. But I knew this time was different. I don't know, something in my gut just told me something is wrong. I, I I immediately left work and started packing the car to leave to go and look for her. Any other time I would get that phone call I would uh I would give it a day and if she didn't call me I I wouldn't worry so much. But you know, within within a day or two she would always call and she would say, you know, Either come and get me, or I'm okay, and this is where I am. And that obviously
0: didn't happen this time. My conversation with Rachel confirmed a lot of what I already knew. That Erica is a nomad of sorts. That she has a huge heart and is a deeply empathetic individual. These are wonderful qualities for a human being to possess. But sometimes, they can get a bit murky when combined with mental illness. This is something that Erica dealt with as she was diagnosed with schizophrenia in her mid-30s.
1: She wanted to leave her children and run off to Africa so she could save all the children there. You know, she started getting Mm -hmm. ideas that she was sent from God to save everyone, and uh, she, she made it her whole life there for a little while.
0: When I asked Rachel what kind of medications Erica was on, I wasn't exactly surprised by the answer I received. Uh, no, she, she was supposed to be
1: medicated, but it, it made her turn into a different person. It, she, she was just a zombie when
0: she was on it. She wasn't able to function. This doesn't surprise me at all. One of my closest and dearest friends has schizophrenia. It's an illness that takes a lot of time, energy and let's face it money to treat properly and there is a lot of trial and error involved in the process of finding out what medications work best for the individual not everybody has that sort of financial backing when it comes to receiving treatment and not everybody feels as though they have the time to spend x amount of months on a medication that makes them feel like crap only to switch to another medication that helps a little bit with their delusions, but has side effects that interfere with their ability to function overall. This is the sad reality of the world that we live in. Another unfortunate reality is that neurotypical individuals don't often understand how to communicate with the mentally ill, and those suffering with mental illnesses don't always understand when neurotypical individuals have their best interests at heart or are trying to help them. This seemed to be a source of conflict in Erica's life. Her marriage collapsed.
1: She lost custody
0: of her children.
1: And she felt like our family was attacking her. And she had really no other choice, so she went and found her own family.
0: The family that Rachel is referring to is commonly known as the Rainbow Family, although I've heard other people elaborate on the name by calling it the Rainbow Family of Love and Light. In other words, Erica naturally fell in with the hippie subculture that permeates a pretty good chunk of the United States. She styled her normally sleek blonde hair into dreadlocks, dyed her dreads in an array of fun colors, and started traveling. Looking through her social media, the transformation is sort of astonishing, but as somebody who also has colorful dreadlocks, I'm not really judging her. She had a few boyfriends here and there. A fellow named David, who her sister still speaks very highly of. A guy named Phil that a few people I've spoken to remember her dating. And then there's the last person to see her, before she disappeared. His name is Larry Anthony Hopkins, and he goes by the nickname Hannibal. They weren't together
1: for, you know, they were barely together for maybe just under two years when she disappeared. From what I could tell, they seemed somewhat happy at first. Um, Of course, they, they would fight, and their fights were very passionate. I wasn't with them all the time because, you know, obviously they were out doing their traveling and doing their hippie thing.
0: When I started looking into Hannibal for this podcast, I discovered that he'd been arrested for possession of methamphetamine, among other things. This was more than a little bit concerning. Meth is a horrible drug for neurotypical people to get into. And if Erica was dating somebody who was known to dabble in it, she could have theoretically been doing it as well. Here's what Rachel had to say about that.
1: Yeah, she's been known to. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one conversation I had with Anthony when they first got together. It's like, keep her away from it. It triggers her. It makes her worse. She needs to stay away from it. Mm -hmm. And he promised me that he would, but I have a suspicion that he did not.
0: Sadly. Sadly. Meth addicts aren't well-known for thinking about the effects that their actions have on other people, and a willing party to get high with is not often met with resistance. Either way, we don't know what drugs Erica and Hannibal were or were not on during the evening of her disappearance. You heard that right. Evening.
1: According to Anthony, because, you know, obviously I was not there, um... Mm -hmm. He said that she was just in one of her manic states. She was getting ready for a doctor's appointment. Uh She went over and took a bath. She was wandering around the property naked, which is not unlike her to do. She loves not having clothes on. Um, he was trying to calm her down. He said he threatened to call me or my parents to come get her if she didn't stop whatever she was doing. I'm, I'm guessing she was just angry and wanting her space because that's what she does. And um, He said he left her alone and he eventually went off to bed and just figured that she was next door bathing or whatever and the next morning when he got up, she was nowhere to be found.
0: When you look at the things that we know so far, Erica's tendency to migrate Her schizophrenia, possible drug use, and the fact that she was allegedly wandering around a heavily wooded area at night, this combination of things doesn't exactly lend itself to the most positive of outcomes. Sadly, it's easy to see why her family held a memorial service for her earlier this year. Another person who I've spoken with is Harry Oakes, who Rachel and her family hired when the local police department exhausted their limited resources, which is more than likely something I'll talk about in detail in another episode. Mr. Oakes has specialized in search and rescue for 47 years, 33 of which have been with canines.
2: Well, when I got there, there were three cars parked about 40, 50 yards apart. And had people sleeping in the cars and dogs in the car. And there were a couple little houses or cabins, if you will, in the area. People were in there. So there's a variety of people on the property. I'm doing a canine search. I don't want anybody else with me. So I just said, okay, thanks, have a nice day, and I'll get back to you if I find anything.
0: Now, I guess the next question would logically be, did he find anything? And the answer to that is, his dogs picked up on Erica's scent, but they picked up on it going a few different places. And while Erica's scent trails tell us something, they don't exactly tell us a clear enough story for anyone to know where the heck she is.
2: The first track I did ended up going towards Bend. The second one I I did tracked her scent uh, to the back, of the property and then into the woods, about a mile, mile and a half, onto the neighbor's property and then back to a group of mailboxes where it just stopped, which tells me that she caught it right out of there, mm-hmm. and let off the property onto the main road and then we lost the scent. I wasn't at the window got rolled up.
0: Naturally, I had some questions. Bend, Oregon, is over 200 miles away from Selma. Why would Erica be heading out there specifically? Rachel received the report from Mr. Oaks regarding what his dogs had tracked and was able to elaborate a little bit further on that.
1: Well from the report I got, his dog said that she went out to the road and possibly got a ride towards the, the Bend working area. He took his dogs out and that's that's pretty much where they were taking him. They took him all the way to Bend which is where her children live. It's not, you know, it's a, it's a stomping ground of hers. It's a regular path that she takes on a regular basis.
0: So, Bend is a place that Erica would definitely have reason to return to. It makes sense that her scent trail would point in that direction. But I wanted to know more about how canines could track somebody if they were in a vehicle. Mr. Oaks was more than willing to explain this to me, and it makes a lot of sense.
2: Uh, you gotta hear, you ever hear of somebody that moves from like always oh, say Grants pass to Eugene and they leave a dog or a cat behind and a year later it shows up at the doorstep. As a person drives, they leave scent. And if the air vent's open, the window's open, their scent escapes and the animal can track it. Well our search dog can do the same thing when a, if a person's in a car If the air vent's open, the window's open, we can track them. Now, we don't let a lot of people know that because we don't want the bad guys knowing we can do that. Of course they do, some of them, but um, I've been teaching vehicle tracking for many, many years.
0: Erica's scent trail doesn't seem to indicate that she was in the midst of a mental health crisis wandering around in the woods half-naked in the middle of the night. Rather, it gives me just a tiny bit of hope that she just decided to up and bail for some weird reason. If that's the case, though, why hasn't she contacted her family in over a year? Why hasn't she contacted the sister who refers to her as everything? It's that question that keeps swirling around in my head. It doesn't make any sense. There are a few stray threads of this narrative that might explain this, speaking purely hypothetically, though. Remember how I mentioned Erica's new family? The Rainbow family? Well... Mr. Oaks had this to say about them.
2: One of the issues that we have uh, in the Southern Oregon, Northern California, is called the Rainbow Group. These are a bunch of folks, and back in my day, we call them hippies. They're good people. They live off the land, and they, uh, they smoke a lot of dope, and that's their life. And maybe she joined up with one of the Rainbow Coalition. The issue is that if she did... A lot of these people won't turn somebody else in. In other words, if I, I'm part of this group and I'm out there smoking and having wild sex and whatever, then I'm certainly not going to call the sheriff's office and say, hey, that girl that you're looking for is the one I had sex with yesterday and smoked dope with yesterday. And that's just the way it is. And so a lot of times they keep to themselves, and uh, which is fine. But again, it, does, it hurts us when we are looking for missing children and missing people it it would be a lot easier if they would just say, hey, you know, she's with us, she's fine, have a nice day. That way we can clear that case and life goes on.
0: I don't know a lot about the Rainbow family, but I plan on speaking about them further and possibly to somebody involved with them in another episode to clear some things up. I do know that trust in law enforcement is practically non-existent in a lot of circles, and that lack of trust could play a part in whether or not anybody who has possibly seen Erica comes forward. During my conversation with Mr. Oaks, I also stumbled upon a rather disturbing bit of information. It could be nothing, but I'm not entirely convinced one way or the other.
2: One of the issues that was brought to my attention at the time that I showed up is the neighbor reported one of his weapons was missing from a house. And everybody hmm. believed that she had taken it and maybe got committed to this side or taken it to protect herself. And I went by his property on purpose. But her sentryl never went over there. So either he was filing a false re- police report regarding his weapon missing or something else was happening.
0: Now, when I heard the words neighbor and gun, My mind immediately went to Josephine County's prominent cannabis industry, a cash crop that's been generating income for Selma and the surrounding area for more years than marijuana's been legalized. Was it possible that Erica had simply run into some trouble with the grower next door? But, like Mr. Oakes said, her scent never went onto the property. That being said, I'd like to know if the firearm was ever recovered, or returned to the owner, or even who the owner was but I doubt I'll ever get those answers. I asked Mr. Oaks what he thought about the possibility of Erica in some sort of delusional state, wandering onto somebody's property or farm and getting killed for it.
2: Well, let's say that she wandered onto somebody's farm while she was stoned, okay? seriously doubt somebody's just going to waste her because she's on their property trying to protect their crop. Now, if she's out there, you know uh, wandering around, then we wouldn't have, you know, between us and the sheriff's office, somebody would have found something.
0: Yet again, Mr. Oakes brings us a valid point. Somebody would have found something. And I suppose this is the perfect place to inform you that on April 20th, 2019, about 11 months after Erica's disappearance, somebody did indeed find something. Anthony located some personal items of Erica's in the woods near where she disappeared from. Coincidentally, this was also about three weeks after he'd been released from the local jail for that meth possession charge I mentioned earlier. Now, what were these personal items of Erica's, you may find yourself asking?
1: Supposedly, Anthony found her her bong and her um, lanyard that holds her lighter, and, um... I can't remember, I can't recall everything that was found. But her bone in particular, she's had that thing for years and she doesn't leave it behind. Hmm. It's just like a little homemade thing that she made out of Gatorade bottle. It, but she carries it around like a baby. The one who had it for years. And she would get picked up by the police wherever I mean she got it back if it was a, a state legal, you know, like area that she got arrested in. She would end up getting the, the bong back. But she's, she's had it forever. I want to say at least three years. It doesn't It really doesn't, matter. She's running down the highway naked. She has her bong in her hand.
0: Now, I've had my fair share of weed-smoking instruments that I've cobbled together out of odds and ends. I know that they can, in fact, hold sentimental value. My next question, obviously, was... Did the bong look like it had been sitting in the woods for almost a year?
1: Um, yeah, it was. It looks like it's been out there for at least a year. It was covered in moss. had pretty growth on it and, you know, okay. obvious wear. It wasn't even 100 yards off the property where she was living.
0: Not even 100 yards off of the property? And it was just being found almost a year after Erica had vanished? That blew my mind, and still deeply troubles me. Maybe it looked like a bit of trash, since it was made out of a Gatorade bottle, but if that was the case, you'd think that somebody would have picked it up at some point. Shortly thereafter, the area was searched, but nothing more of Erica's was recovered, and she obviously wasn't found. A few months after finding Erica's bong it seems that Anthony has relocated to another part of the United States. While this could be seen as suspicious, it could also just be seen as somebody who fell in with a bad crowd trying to distance themselves from their former life and heal. Honestly, there's no real way to tell at this point, but I'd definitely be willing to speak with Anthony and listen to what he has to say, since, to my knowledge, he hasn't given any sort of public statement regarding what happened on that night. So, that's really where we're at with all of this so far. Those are the facts. There's a bit of a timeline. And over a year later, we still have no answers as far as what happened to Erica or where she is. Towards the end of my conversation with Mr. Oaks, though, he did have an interesting story to tell me.
2: Maybe two months ago, I was working a case out of Eugene, Oregon. And was stopped at the rest stop down there. And there was a little flower child, as I will call them from my era, um, running around with her braided hair, and, you know, and stoned out of her mind, um, begging for money. And I wish I would have had a picture of Erica because just going from memory, it, it was her. But, I, of course, I didn't put two and two together until so after I'd left I went, holy crap, that, that sure looked like her. But, again, that could have been anybody that, it was the same height, same color of her hair, um, skin color. And, uh, I just wish I had remembered that while I was talking to this young lady. I was letting my dogs out and she wanted to go pet them. And I said, sure, you can pet them. I had my search dogs with me and, uh, I said, where are you from? And she, she said down Grants Pass Medford area, which of course that's where you guys are. You know, not, you know, not real close to there, but not too far from there that she was just up working the area, you know, trying to beg for some money to go on with her life. And uh, I didn't put two and two together till after I'd left and went, oh my God, that could be Erica.
0: Hearing that story gave me a nice little hopeful feeling. But like he said, that young woman could have been anyone who'd traveled up towards Eugene from this area. On that note, he does have a few theories worth mulling over all of which lend themselves to some degree of probability.
2: I've looked for missing persons many times before in grow operation areas. And there's either clues that they're there or there's clues that they're, they've gone. Everything here indicates that she left. You know, could she have fallen victim to a foul play? Sure. Let's say she is hitchhiking and she got into the wrong hands of some trucker or some bad person. Well, then that would account for why she's missing. Um, or let's say there is a scrupulous person growing pot. And, oh my God, how dare them? Let's just say that she ran into the wrong person down there and they took her out of the area. That's always a possibility. I did three different searches, um, never came up across anything that showed me that there was any rem- human remains out there.
0: On the other hand, Rachel has some reasons that are equally as valid as far as why she and the rest of her family believe that Erica is no longer alive.
1: I really try not to speculate on what I wasn't there to witness. I don't really want to point fingers at any particular person because I, I really just don't have any evidence to go in any direction towards anybody. Somebody has to know something. People don't just mm-hmm. dance off the face of the earth. There's no way even if she wanted to disappear, her, her mental illness wouldn't allow it. I mean, in the, in the last five years, there hasn't been three or four months go by without me getting a phone call from a sheriff or from a hospital or from a friend that was concerned or her herself saying, hey, I, I need you to come get me. If she is still alive, let's put that possibility out there, she's being held against her will. There's nothing in this world that would have kept her from her kids. There's nothing in this world that would have kept her from me. I was always there. I picked her up thousands of times. It didn't matter what state she was in. And she knew that I would always be there for that. I would do it a million times over. I'm not out for revenge. I, I don't care if whoever is responsible gets even punished. Because I know that they'll get what's coming to them eventually. I just want to bring her home.
0: Erica seems like a genuinely warm-hearted good person, and her disappearance is an absolute mystery. No family should have to go through not knowing where their loved one is. It's my hope that this podcast will eventually reach the right listener, somebody who knows something and is willing to say something. If they would prefer to remain anonymous, then by all means I'll let them and turn whatever information they have into the appropriate authorities. The goal is to shine a light on Erica's case, one that is so bright that it cannot be ignored by the community and law enforcement officials, and eventually, to bring her home to Rachel and the rest of her family.
2: Somebody that maybe hung out with her for a while, or maybe saw her in one of their adventures. Uh, maybe they can come forward and call whatever numbers they have posted on the posters and say, "Hey, yeah, she's okay. She's over here at such such location there." Uh, and that's all it's going to take is just to help the family have some peace of mind.
0: Erica Hogue is 5 feet 6 inches tall and weighs between 100 and 130 pounds. She has sandy blonde hair that is styled into dreadlocks and maybe dyed rainbow color. And hazel eyes. She has a tattoo of a marijuana leaf on her right bicep. She was last seen in the 7800th block of Deer Creek Road in Selma, Oregon. If you know Erica or have information regarding her disappearance, please contact the Oregon State Police. If you do not feel comfortable doing that, you can email me at alightforerica@gmail.com at gmail.com or call or text 541-450-9734. A very special thank you to Matthew Sell, who created the music for this podcast. And a big thank you to the friends online and in person who I'm able to bounce ideas and thoughts off of. Most of all, thank you for listening to A Light for Erica. I'm Gwen Berenger, and together I hope that we can bring Erica Hogue home to those who love her.